TV Break, the PopBreak.com's monthly roundup of all the ins and outs in the world of TV. I am PopBreak Podcast Director Alex Marcus, and I am joined, as always, by PopBreak Editor-in-Chief Bill Bodkin. How are you today, Bill? Oh, you know, I'm feeling very Southern, just very, yeah, like a Southern Bell right now. That's great. We always love Southern Bill. Uh... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Now, uh, you may have heard another voice on the line, and that is uh, our friend of ours welcoming back. Very excited. He's taking a break from booing Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff at all his public appearances. It's Pop Break TV columnist Josh Janaki. Welcome back to the pod, Josh. Uh, So glad to be back. You know, booing Zasloff. It's a full-time job, but someone's got to do it. It really is at commencement addresses at Cannes. It's it's really you got to you got to really put in the air miles to, to catch up with that guy. You're welcome for the bail money. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Now, today, we have a great show for you, including an update on the streaming wars, a review of Disney Plus's new young adult action-adventure series, American Born Chinese, and a check-in on the ongoing Writers Guild of America strike that has shut down productions all across the industry. But before we do all of that, Josh, it's been far, far too long since we've heard from you, so please tell our audience what's the best thing that you've saw on TV in the past month. Okay, so I can finally get on the conversation. I'm very late to it, but I did watch season three of Mandalorian, and I will weigh in. Okay. IG-11 stroller, poor taste, but very cute. That's that's my... Typical Josh trying to split the difference between me and Bill. No, oh. I, I I loved your conversation with with Amanda on socially distance, um, <laughs> where you got into a heated debate about the merits of it. Um, it was quite enjoyable, and I found myself wanting to, you know, be team. Like, yes, it's a cute. This is great, but then like, oh man, the droids in Star Wars have a bad a bad time. Uh, unless you're, as Alex, you said in the podcast, BB-8 or R2D2, you better just expect disrespect <laughs> well i mean like he was doing his job i mean it was that he was meant to do he's protecting young grogu and you know listen we're just gonna take Vizsla. we're gonna make him into a huge hollowed out husk of a sushi bar it's gonna be great don't worry <laughs> you know or we'll serve oh if you don't like sushi you don't like sushi is that too gauche we'll serve brunch out of there how about for you all you bougie <laughs> people out there? We're going to serve some nice brunch. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know if I want my my raw fish served out of the dead body of a fallen comrade. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the job he was built for was bounty hunter, not nanny or stroller. <laughs> yes, but we evolve but, as as beings, and that's what makes us truly human. Oh yes, yeah. How how relatable? You know, career change, midlife. What's more relatable? But other than that, no. I I really enjoyed the season. I did not think it was as strong as uh, the first two seasons, but I was definitely higher on it than you were, Alex. I know you were not a huge fan, which I can see why based on I, some of the decisions. I but... rate was a good word for to describe his reaction. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I think the the one thing that I I remember you two had discussed in socially distance that i i don't remember anything i just oh good well i re- guess so please remind me <laughs> just listen to that well you you guys talked with a man about how was it right for the mandalorian to be this show that bridged all of the different uh corners of the star wars universe all the different trilogies together and i i still don't know if it's the right call but i think it's ambitious and i think if anyone's going to do it it's feloni and i think it doesn't always work, but when it 
worked. I felt it finally was bringing some cohesion to a universe that has been very scattered ever since George Lucas decided he wanted to go back and edit things because he could. So I was happy with that. And I know I, I found myself enjoying the Bo-Katan story, even though I did miss, you know, the sweet baby boy Grogu. I wanted a little bit more from him. But other than that, I was fairly satisfied with it overall. Bill, how about you? What are some of the good things you've been watching? We know you've been watching lots of movies over on Socially Distance. Uh, yeah, so I've watched like it's been like my life has been like youth sports and movies uh, for podcasts, and that's it. So I've watched like one show that isn't wrestling, and that is a cartoon on what a shock Disney Channel called Kiff, and it's wonderful. Uh, it is a it's a, it's about uh, this very like well-meaning hyperactive squirrel named Kiff and her best friend, who's like kind of this kind of sweet and kind of mellow bunny named Barry. And, you know, you think like you kind of like have this expectation what the show is going to be, but it's actually like a really good musical. It's a really great story about boys and girls being like best friends without like them making it weird. Um, if you're a fan of Adventure Time, it has certain elements of like for animation style. Um, there's also a couple famed somewhat famous people in this uh Rachel House uh from who people might know from Thor Ragnarok and um, Alex you're a big fan of hers she plays Barry's mom and she's really funny and restarby She's also from, the grandma in Moana and very yeah. memorably. Yes and uh restarby from uh Our Flag Means Death is in an episode that hasn't aired just yet but this is a really fun Thing where they do a lot of subtle humor that adults are just like, hey, if you get it, you get it. They they really skewer Top Gun in one episode. Um, okay. Which, yeah. It's like they all think they're, the other kids think they're going to be pilots. And there's one, the guy who's teaching the class is like, well, you've never seen Fly Guys. He's like, it's the 30th anniversary volleyball edition. And like they keep <laughs> making jabs at Top Gun not being good. And only thing people remember is the volleyball scene. So I was like, okay. I see what you're doing here. Uh, it's a fun show if you're really in animation. And if you're a parent and, you know, you see a commercial for it, you don't have to groan in dread that your kid's going to watch something, you know, like just ins insipid and, and silly. It, this is a good spiritual heir to Bluey because they haven't released any of the, the new seasons yet, which is kind of wild. It's been years. So if your kid's Blueyed out, which I kind of am, Kif is a great uh, alternative for that. So you can find that on Disney plus, and I think they have like two episodes left. It airs, I want to say Saturday mornings on the Disney channel as well. Very good. It seems like it also is on Disney XD from what I've seen. Yeah. The reruns are on Disney XD. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm excited to say that in, even if you guys haven't watched that much TV, I have watched yeah. all of the TV in the yes, last month because good, it is good. a really packed good. time for television. Lots of really exciting things happening. The Flash finally ended. It had its series finale. Uh, mercifully. Finally. <laughs> so, I'm so happy for you. The Thank lone you. Flash viewer in the world. <laughs> Stuck it's, with it. You and, Grant Gustin's mom, you, you, Grant Gustin's mom, and Jesse L. Martin watched the finale. No, Jesse L. Martin left halfway through the season, and I don't yeah, know if he watched it at all. I don't know. I've, I've trapped like... in the Speed Force. <laughs> I think he no, has a he... soft spot. 
I w- Josh, I wish he was trapped in the Speed Force. That would have been such a better explanation for why he wasn't on the show than what they did. But in oh, any case... You explained it. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it gets even worse as the season goes on. Uh, but in any case, uh, not here to talk about The Flash. It is mercifully over. Other major uh, series finales also happened this month, including Succession, which had a all-time great finale on top of an all-time great final season it's truly truly excellent show is really at the top of of the list in terms of the best shows of the last 10 15 years really really remarkable achievement uh that jesse armstrong and the gang did i really just can't speak highly enough if you haven't watched it you should you're probably tired of hearing people talk about how great it is it might make you resent the show but honestly just go watch it it's it's really that good show that's not that good in my opinion at all is barry which also had its final season wrap up this month you're in a very small group i feel like i know i am definitely in the minority on this one but i fucking hate this show (laughs) with a passion (laughs) wow that's usually my my response that's great so much it's so cruel to the audience (laughs) and its characters it's so cynical in a really dark and ugly way and just mean it's just mean in a way that like succession should be mean but it's artfully mean in a way where it's like yeah i i enjoy that this is just cruel it's just like oh you like this character you're invested in them well, fuck you you're a moron like that's how it felt watching barry and i don't think that that ever changed and uh the se- the final season just really doubled down on that idea and the finale uh e- equally so a lot of people love this show i thought the first season was okay i wasn't gonna keep watching it i gave it another chance i watched the second and third season last year and i liked this the second season okay i liked the third season actually quite a bit and then the fourth season came, and I just felt angry that I ever gave this show a chance because me and Bill Hader, who I like, and a lot of other things, uh, we we're just not on the same page. So fuck this show. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! wow. Yeah, oh my not, goodness! Holy shit! I hate it so much. Uh, show I, that go, I, I I feel like I should go to your house and make sure you're okay. Like I'm not okay. This is like my like. The anger usually comes from me and not you. You're like, all right, calm down, everybody. Yeah, no, not when it comes to Barry. Um, but a show that I liked quite a bit, even more than a lot of people this season, was Yellow Jackets. Its second season aired while Succession and Barry was airing as well. It had its final episode last week. Uh, not its series finale, but its season finale. And uh, a lot of people kind of fell off of this show because it really evolved from what it was in season one. Season one was this sort of like crazy shocking twists every episode breakneck pace felt like a roller coaster ride through trauma and and uh cannibalism uh and it's like yeah well it's so if you haven't seen yellow jackets (laughs) yellow jackets is a show um that takes place across two timelines one is in the past in the mid 90s a group of girls soccer players on a soccer team their their plane crashes in the wilderness in uh in the pacific northwest and they are stuck there, uh, and they have to fend for themselves, and they do start eating people. Um, and then in the second half of the show, uh, the other timeline, we have modern day uh, Christina Ricci, Melanie Linsky, Juliette Lewis, and the gang. Uh, we have the adult versions of these characters as they reconnect after a 25-year uh, absence in each other's lives. Um, and... The second season is a lot less reliant on shocking twists, on crazy uh, plot turns. Uh, it's a lot 
calmer. It's a lot more interested in the characters um, and isn't trying to wow you as much. It's really just trying to take the characters seriously in a somewhat heightened way, especially in the in the uh, pro- modern day storyline where we are meeting up with another yellow jacket who we hadn't seen in modern day yet. And she is definitely running a cult in the woods. So, you know, there's the whole thing happening. Um, but in almost every case, like the, there could have been a twist, but actually what was happening is what you thought was happening. And I found that to be kind of nice, uh, but a lot of people didn't. So they were like, ah, this is boring now, but I liked it. Cause I think that the actresses both in the young cast and in the, uh, main cast are fantastic and really, really talented. And the show gives them a lot of stuff to do. And it they do eat people. So, you know, I think that's an important thing to remember. Uh, so big fan of the finale. Well, is anyone, did they use anyone's hollowed out body for like a buffet table? Um, yeah, they do. Uh, but oh, the buffet, in! <laughs> but, but in! the buffet is also the body that they're eating. So oh, yeah. that sucks. I was mm. hoping for like a nice French, toast but it's barbecued. Like so, you know, Oh, okay. I'm all right mm. with that. But yeah. I, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, this show, because I felt like this was the hottest thing on the face of the planet when it returned and then just fell off. Like I heard all the talk, then nothing. So yeah. that makes sense why it happened. Yeah, it was it was definitely a show that the I think it also was hurt for two reasons. One, it aired every single week, the same week as Succession, where everybody was talking about Succession. So that just completely dominated the conversation. And number two is that Showtime did this weird thing where they were like, "We're going to treat this like it's a like it's a um, a streaming show by having it drop on our platform every Friday." first thing in the morning but we're also going to treat it like a prestige sunday show and have it air on our linear network on sunday nights and it created a situation where like everybody was watching it at different times and not sure when they were supposed to talk about it because some people were waiting until sunday and other people were watching it on friday and then other people were watching it like throughout the week and uh i don't think that that helped the conversation around the show i don't think it's like the main reason why it didn't have as much conversation but i don't think that that helped it well yeah because also showtime's like a thing but also not a thing yeah it this is true it is it is about to become uh paramount plus with showtime <laughs> so let's let's never forget that truly atrocious <sighs> name um it's just so wild that it's called paramount plus and it's like you could have just said paramount plus showtime but no they said paramount plus with showtime but anyway um another show where names are very important is ted lasso uh which Mm. ended its third and maybe final season and i did watch all of that show uh Mm. and i really liked the first season i thought that the second season was uneven but the second half of the second season was really surprisingly strong and i thought the third season was a total catastrophe it was really bad you're not the only one shockingly bad this this half hour comedy was regularly between 60 and 70 minutes long for some fucking reason um it just it's the end of season two sets up a very clear arc for several of the characters and they choose not to do that for some reason and it's like okay fine you change your mind what they choose to do instead which i won't get into in detail is just truly like boring and bizarre uh they have this like character who has to go on this like redemption arc for the things that he did in the second season. But instead of having him engage with any of the main characters of the show, he uh, gets a girlfriend and that who, who likes him and that really helps. And then he goes, he quits his job and goes home and his dad tells him that he was mean to him because actually he's a genius and uh, he just never knew how to parent a genius and uh, and then he's fine, and he's welcomed back onto the team, even though the team has not been 
been privy to any of the character development that he's been on, and he never had to apologize for anything or share any scenes with anybody on the show. So weird stuff like that happened. A lot of other stuff that was really bizarre, like they would just... They, they oftentimes it felt like they they had a lot of ideas for each episode. And instead of really honing in on like the two or three ideas that would have made strong episodes, they're just like, let's just do all of them. And that's always a bad idea. It's like you really need to know what you're telling, what story you're telling. And Ted Lasso in its last season truly never did. And uh, and yeah, the ending is it's so bad that the, the second to last episode ends with this tease where where Ted, who is, you know, the Jason Zakes character, is uh, preparing to who he she goes he goes into the boss's office and like makes a, a nod about how he has something to tell her. And it's implied that he's going to tell her that he's leaving the team uh, to go back home with his son because he's been sad that he's missed his son all season. Uh, and then you cut the next episode the final episode of the series starts out and he has already told everyone that he was leaving off camera everyone has basically had their own emotional experience with this news off camera and now everybody's just like happy and silly that uh he's leaving and they all do a dance song and dance like literally from like the sound of music to say goodbye to him and it's just like what so there's so many points in this in this season where there's clear opportunity for dramatic potential for comedic potential and they just choose to like have those beats play out off screen for some reason and then the stories that they do tell are really bad and boring uh so yeah they just completely fucked it up and uh it's it wasn't good and now you know jason sadikis clearly was leaving the show show is called ted lasso uh so hard to do ted lasso without ted lasso but uh they still won't confirm that it's the end of the show so it'd be definitely interesting to see what apple and, and warner brothers discovery that produces the show uh does next you guys haven't seen any of ted lasso right nope have not seen any have heard though that this was like a calamitously bad follow-up to what had been two beloved seasons. So that is shocking. Also, Alex, I like how you came in to talk about your favorite thing of the month and you talking about like at least three things that you hated. You're like, <laughs> hey guys. Well, I mean it's a it's a conversation on the big shows, but also yeah. man, June it may suck for you. But no, it didn't suck for me because aside from those things, there were other really good things that I want to talk about very briefly, which is one I finally I watched The Diplomat. I told you guys I would watch it last month. I made a promise, and I kept that promise. Uh, I was only going to watch the first three episodes, but guys, I loved it so much that I watched the entire thing in like two days. It's Carrie Russell, uh, Rufus Sewell, um, a show about a uh, a diplomat, a quote unquote, the new London, the new ambassador to the UK, Carrie Russell. Uh, she's not happy to be there because she wants to be an ambassador in in Kabul, uh, Afghanistan, because she cares about serious issues, and uh, but. But as she doesn't know it, but it turns out her her husband, who is kind of like a uh, a really interesting character uh, who likes to kind of get up to shenanigans on his own, uh, has kind of uh, created a circumstance so that way she could maybe become the vice president of the United States without even asking her. Um, and so now she's in London uh, trying to navigate this uh, imp- diplomatic crisis because a ship in London has been exploded and we don't know. It could be Russia. It could be I- Iran. We don't know what's going on. Uh, and uh, we just follow along from there. Uh, Bella Bagario, who is the head of content over at uh, Netflix, um, said that their mission is to create gourmet cheeseburgers uh, moving forward. And guys, this is a perfect gourmet cheeseburger. It's 
a show about serious issues where people walk like they stride into rooms and give speeches um but also like it none of it fucking matters and it's all very silly and and ridiculous um but in the best possible way it's really fun if you like uh carrie russell if you like shows um where people talk really fast and are very competent at their job but also uh there's high melodrama involved um you're gonna love the diplomat it's only eight episodes i really recommend it is it west wing-esque it is like west wing uh in in a lot of ways um it's also like it's sort of like West Wing meets the Americans and not just because Carrie Russell is in it, but also because Carrie Russell is in it with a very complicated relationship with her husband as she has in the Americans. Um, so yeah, it is, it's kind of that vibe, uh, which is a really fun mix for me as someone who loves both of those shows. Uh, and if you're like, I don't want to do a politics show right now, what I will say is that it's entirely based on international politics. There's no like landmines about the domestic stuff that can kind of get frustrating for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. So it's really just about like the UK is it wants to bomb somebody, but they don't know who they're supposed to bomb. And she's there to try to help them figure out who to bomb, but also maybe don't bomb anybody. It's like, that's really the level of politics that we're dealing with. It's, it doesn't go deeper than that. So also Michael McKean is there as the president. Um, nice. and he's really fun in that role. A really good. Uh, he does a really good job. So yeah, it's a really fun show. That's Another fun. really fun show is freebies jury duty, which I just finished yesterday. Uh, do you guys know about jury duty? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had several people recommend it to me. It's great. Uh, I, and I also had it this year, and it sucked. I, well, I th- <laughs> you, if you had had this jury duty, I think you would have had a lot more no, fun. I know. Yeah. Because the premise, if you don't know, and I would understand if you didn't, because who the fuck knows what Freebie is, but Freebie is basically like the free stuff that's on Amazon, basically. That's all you need to know. Um, and it's basically like a Parks and Rec-style comedy, uh, but with a big twist, and that twist is that one character is a real person who doesn't know he's in a sitcom <laughs> and everybody else are actors uh, and everything else that they do is scripted. Um, but he thinks that they're all real people. Um, and he thinks that everything that's happening to him is real. And he's really in jury duty, even though he is not. Um, and James Marston is in yeah. the show playing James Marston. <laughs> and he does a really, really good job playing a uh, slightly egocentric uh, version of himself. Uh, and it's just really delightful and fun. And, there, like when I heard the pitch for this show, I was very apprehensive because I remember back in like the early 2000s when the reality TV shows were booming and there was this whole genre of reality shows where they took contestants. And they were like, we're going to trick them into thinking that they're in one thing, but they're really in another thing. And it was always very kind of like prank oriented it was kind of mean spirited but in a way where it's like but they'll get money in the end so it's fine if we kind of abuse them (laughs) for our own benefits and it was kind of mean and this show isn't that at all like those shows often had scenes where you would like kind of like the producer would like talk to one of the actors and be like okay so here's what we're going to try to do to get him kind of to do that there's no breaking of the fourth wall in this show at all until the final episode when the reveal happens. And then you actually get to kind of like walk around the set and see what was going on and see where a lot of the hidden cameras were and like see how everything was scripted. Like until that final episode, no one breaks at all. The only way that you know that it's not real is because there's like a, a, a title card at the beginning that tells you what's going on. Otherwise, all of the actors the entire time are in character on screen. They're engaging with each other. They're engaging with our lead. And they do set up some situations that are somewhat 
uh, comedically heightened, but they're always very careful because they don't want it to be too far because they don't want him to get suspicious that this isn't real. So they're always kind of like walking this line of trying to do something that would fit very comfortably in a Parks and Rec style comedy, which is a slightly, you know, comedic world, uh, comedically heightened world. But not too much so that would kind of make him be suspicious. And they mostly land it. And it's a really fun show. It's 30-minute episodes. Really fun. I really, really recommend this much better. It's much better than I expected it to be. The guy that they got, who who is the unsuspecting uh, jury foreman, he is wonderful. He's so nice. He's so, like, caring towards these people and is really willing to just accept all of their wild idiosyncrasies in a way that I really enjoy. So it's a really good show. I, I really recommend it. And I, I definitely think that both you, Bill, and you, Josh, would specifically really like it as well. Okay. Yeah, and it's been definitely on my radar, for sure. It would. I think you'd get a lot out of it. Um, I watched a couple of other shows, but I've been talking for too long, and I'm going to have to talk a lot in our next segment. So I'm just going to leave it at there. I did say that I also watched Mrs. Davis. I watched the first three episodes of Mrs. Davis, and I'm still kind of like not sold on Mrs. Davis. So I'm going to watch more of it and then talk you, about it next month. You did talk about that on Socially Distance, so... Go back to one of Alex's socially distanced uh, pop pop-ins, and you'll hear him talk about Mrs. Davis. Unless Thank someone you. else, unless someone else talked about it, and I completely thought it was you. So I don't think I did, all... but <laughs> oh, it was to hear you know someone what? else talk about <laughs> it, Mrs. Davis. It was it was Matt Kelly on our Guardians of the Galaxy episode. That's what it was. Sure. So tune yeah. in to see him talk about uh, that, and uh, and also about Guardians of the Galaxy three, which is a really good show, a really good movie, I should say, uh, one that we might be talking about you and me, Bill, in a little while, but not in this episode. So before we move on, let's take a moment to talk about some other great shows in the Pop Break universe. Hey everyone, I'm Michelle. And I'm DJ. And we host Roses and Rejections, a podcast that talks about all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Each week we'll give you our insights into the delicious mess that is the Bachelor franchise. We also cover other reality shows and give you our hot takes on the good, bad, and all the in-between. Catch us every Wednesday during the Bachelor season. Or every other Wednesday while The Bachelor isn't airing. In the Pop Break TV feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Josh. And this is Aaron. And we're the hosts of the Anniversary Brothers Podcast. The podcast where we talk about the anniversaries of your favorite TV shows and movies. Hey Aaron, what do Muppet Treasure Island, Arrow, and the birds have in common? Uh, they all feature bird puppets? Close. They're all movies and shows we've covered on the pod. Find our film podcast on the Pop Break Today feed. And find our TV podcast on the Pop Break TV feed. Thanks. Bye. Okay, now we're back, and we are going to talk about our next segment, which is our news break segment, where we talk about one of the biggest stories in Hollywood. And this month, there's only one story that is covering – there's only one story that is at the top of everybody's lips, and that is the WGA writer's strike. Last month, the WGA went on strike. A lot has happened in the ensuing weeks. All writers across the industry have put their pencils down for exactly one month as of our recording, and they have been picketing studios and sets of productions in New York and L.A. This has resulted in production delays for many Hollywood films without finished scripts, and it has resulted in a great deal of uncertainty around the TV network's fall schedules, though less so for streamers who claim to have a stockpile of shows ready to air. 
Some television series have also shut down, including all of the late night talk shows and some daytime talk shows. Um, they've shut down mostly in solidarity with the writers. With the writers in the last writer strike that people might remember from about a decade ago, those shows actually didn't shut down. Um, so that's kind of notable. Uh, we also saw something I know we all care about a lot about is that the MTV Movie and T- Television Awards <laughs> uh, canceled their live show and replaced it with a pre-taped so shortened telecast. Also, the daytime Emmys were postponed. Uh, the Tonys, however, decided that they're still going to hold their live show. Um, and they didn't exactly say fuck writers, but they kind of did. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> she uh, must go on. Several other scripted shows have also shut down, either in solidarity with the writers or because they were being picketed by writers and the cast and crew of the series refused to cross the picket line. Many films and television shows, however, remain in production as studios previously stockpiled scripts to allow for the shows to stay in production and the DGA, which represents the directors, and SAG-AFRA, which represents the actors, are not currently on strike. In fact, this weekend, we just learned that the DGA announced it had an agreement to a new contract with the studios, a contract that seems to address many, but not all, of the issues that the writers raised during their negotiations, on which the studio refused to negotiate with the writers. So take that for what you will. Um, For its part, SAG is currently asking its members to authorize a strike to help their own negotiation leverage, as their current contract is scheduled to end on June 30th. So... What exactly are these demands that the writers have? We, me, Josh, and Bill are going to go through all of them, and then we're going to give our thoughts on how this has gone so far and where we stand on all of this. Okay, yes. Thank you for summing that up, Alex. So one thing the writers are looking for is assurances from studios that they will not use AI to write or rewrite scripts, that AI will not be allowed to be credited as a screenwriter, and other safeguards to protect their workers. So Uh, So far, the studios have refused to discuss the issue, asserting that they need to not be locked in to a three-year agreement on safeguards when the technology is rapidly developing in new and unpredictable ways. So that's a standstill. Uh, What's uh, something we could definitely have expected with any sort of strike is increased pay issues. The number of writers who have been receiving only guild minimum has increased by 16% in the last 10 years. And when you factor in inflation, the average pay for writers has actually decreased 14% in the last five years. The WGA wants a new minimum that helps raise the floor for writers so that way they can afford rent and healthcare in New York and LA, where most productions are located. Another issue they're talking about is shorter exclusivity windows. So the problem of lower average pay has been compounded by the fact that many of the rules around staffing and exclusivity windows are still based on the assumption that the typical writer is being employed by a series that's producing you know, nine to 10 months out of the year and producing 22 to 25 episodes. But that's not the case anymore. So for example, many writers' contracts are organized per episode payment structures that are also then featured long-term exclusivity windows. Um, so let's say working on a hit show like Netflix's Bridgerton, which is like eight episodes, um, that severely reduces it because how much money you can make on the job is then reduced and you're blocked from doing other things once production wraps. Um, So writers want to update this model to match the changing nature of their industry. They also want to talk about better residuals. Hollywood has long operated under a compensation system where talent earns less salary up front in exchange for profit sharing with studio in event of the project as success. This system is called residuals. So the value of residual payments has always been built around 
publicly available metrics such as box office returns and Nielsen ratings. Um, in the streaming era, however, many studios, studios main proprietary metrics that let them know what is a success and what isn't, but they do not let the talent or the press know what those metrics say, which makes it impossible for residual payments to be provided fairly and with just compensation for all involved. Studios have cut deals with major stars, directors, and writers, writer-producers to pay out more money up front to make up for the loss of residual payments, but that only applies to the you guessed that the top 1% of people in the industry, most writers, actors, and directors have lost significant compensation as a result. Final issue that they're talking about is ending mini rooms and establishing staffing requirements. In the streaming era, studios have significantly cut back on the pilot system of developing shows, where a studio pays a writer to write a script for a pilot, produces the pilot episode with the cast and crew, and then decides whether to greenlight that show, which after which it would go into production within a month or two. Instead, studios now often create something called mini rooms, where one to four writers will work for a few weeks to create an outline for a full season of television and then produce some, if not most, scripts before the studio decides if they want the show. If they get the green light, then most of those writers are let go and a new writer's room is hired to complete production on the season. Sometimes more than a year can pass between when the mini room occurs and when the green light comes down and a new room is staffed. This process also decreases the role writers have in the production process overall, and many writers feel as though it robs them not just of the power within the industry, but also of valuable apprenticeship experiences. In the old model, a writer would be employed by a series for most of the calendar year. They would have the chance to pen multiple scripts and then go to the set as a consulting producer to see how the sets are run and then uh, also the non-writing demands of a showrunner, which would then continue into the editing process after filming was over. Writers who get caught up in mini rooms end up losing a lot of these opportunities and therefore feel less prepared to start shows of their own, further reducing their ability to rise economically and professionally. Writers are asking for an end to mini rooms and to guarantee staffing minimums to help address these apprenticeship crises. So guys, thank you for helping me uh, review all of the reasons why the writers are on strike. Clearly there are many, some of them are very complicated and technical as it relates to mostly television. Um, and some of it is very easy to understand in terms of not getting paid enough and not having access to the rights and the residuals that they had been getting in previous years. So overall, I know bill, we talked about this very briefly on uh, bill versus the MCU last month. And you said, well, I think there's too much at stake, too much money is going to be lost. So I think that they're going to get together on a deal very quickly. Um, that proved what to be shock. not the case. <laughs> I, what a shock. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> but now we've had a month and a lot of stuff has gone on. The DGA did uh, come up with that deal, um, which may be a sign of progress or maybe a sign that this is going to last even longer. How are you feeling about all of this? And also, where do you stand in terms of these issues are you are you more in line with what the studios are are saying or are you more in line with what the writers are saying well i mean as a writer uh i always believe in paying people i mean trust me if i had the money to pay everyone on this site everyone would not be working their job right now and we'd all be just sitting in an office somewhere laughing in, in a podcast a studio that we would have paid for but that's not the case so i'm always about paying writers and i also have a vested interest as I have friends who are writers on shows or producers on shows. So I want to see my friends be able to live and make money and feed their families and pay their rent. And even if I didn't, 
I am someone who is very on the side of the worker, given my history with unemployment, my family's history with unemployment. So I'm always for that. The problem really here lies in is I, um, you know, just a, just a silly man who makes silly things on a podcast. I didn't really think of the AI of it all. And I think that's actually a lot more uh, integral to this than than we, I, I think a lot of people realize is because when you have Bob Iger from Disney coming out and saying, oh, we're going to look into AI, that's not good. Because it's just like, well, why do I have to pay for this when I can make a computer can fill in the blanks? They could polish everything up. And that's where the slippery slope starts, right? It's just like, well, we're not going to have them replace the writers. It's just when we run into a wall, we'll use it as a reference. Or we need to clean something up. Something's not working. We'll use it to see what that can churn out. And that's where it starts, and that's where it's all going to go downhill. James Cameron did a movie about this. It was called Terminator. And uh, Skynet is <laughs> feels like it's going to be a real, reality aid day now. So, Al Pacino did a movie about this. It was called Simone. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> nope. Uh, but you, but <laughs> yeah. now I do. But actually, a, now that you say that, I, it is coming back to me. Um, but that's the big thing here. I think they're just like, well, we have a cheaper option. So why do we, we need you? And this is like kind of like when we talk about Maybe I'm just extrapolating too much here, but it's not unlike when we had like, you know, the factories and stuff like that. I was like, why do we need people here? We have robots, you know, and now it's like, why do we need script writers? We have robots like yep. we have a cheap alternative here. So why do we have to pay uh, you to do anything? Also, coming from the world of journalism, it's a bit it's it's not Apple. It's a bit apples and oranges. But why do I have to pay all these people? Don't you want this job? Don't you want this experience? You should come on and, you know, just, you know, cut your teeth this way. And we see newsrooms becoming smaller and smaller and writing rooms becoming smaller and smaller and people breaking themselves in half in order to 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 live their dream, in order to be able to create. And that's the problem. They're like, well, it happened. Work for magazines or work. For, well, it hasn't really. But, you know, these corporations still keep making money. So why not us? Why can't we do it? And that's what I fear is they're just like, meh, we don't really need people although someone made a good joke on twitter is this like does ai have daddy issues do they know what that is because writers do (laughs) ai has has been able to has has been able to learn about every writer's daddy issue for the start of society to now uh so they are very well adept at mimicking our daddy issues at the very least yeah i know uh it was a good joke at least but yeah that's i i think that's this is the problem also you've seen the people who create who are responsible for the ai programs uh they should definitely have daddy issues um given who their daddies are uh but in any case uh i want to get into josh for a second or let josh get in on this for a second i should say uh but before i do that i do want to kind of stay on this ai piece for a little bit because a couple of really interesting things have happened with the ai uh number one um the writers see based on interviews that i've seen no one has come out outright and said we only said this as a like as a negotiation chip that we expected to have to give up um but they've come out and said more or less everything but that so it really seems like that was an issue that they put out on the table as something that they could give up because they didn't really expect uh this to be an issue right now because remember this contract is only for the next three years so i don't think people really expected AI to be a big issue over the next three years. So they thought, well, we can kind of like give a little bit on that issue until when they were in negotiations, the studios 
kind of like completely shut down that conversation. They refused to give anything. They said, we refuse to negotiate on AI at all. And that got the writers who were involved in the negotiations very uh, intrigued and worried because they were like, wow, if they're going to be that hard line on this issue that we thought was a marginal issue, obviously it's not a marginal issue and they're planning on doing a lot more stuff than we thought they were. And now it has to be one of our main issues. And I find that very interesting. And I also find it frustrating the way that this has been covered in the media, because a lot of people out there are saying, oh, I mean, you know, our, look at what ChatGPT does when you ask it to write a Seinfeld script. Uh, they can't possibly replace the writers. It's so, it's so stupid to even think that they could. And number one, that is dumb, because what the publicly available version of ChatGPT can do is, number one, not nearly as good as what ChatGPT4 can do, and number two, going to be nothing compared to what ChatGPT6 is going to be able to do in two years. So the, the rate of progress on this artif these artificial intelligence programming, the, the la large language models, are exponential, and it's we're only seeing a tiny fraction of what it's going to be like very shortly. So it's very short-sighted to grade what it can do literally right now and assume for the next three years that's how it's going to be uh never mind the next forever uh number two as bill you mentioned no one is saying that they're going to have writers be completely replaced by artificial intelligence right now but what could very easily happen is instead of a studio executive going to a writer and saying we want to make a show about you know the financial industry can you give us a pitch on what you would do and then jesse armstrong spends the next three months writing up a pitch for succession and then he presents it to hbo and hbo says that's a great idea instead what they can do is say we wanted to make a show about the financial industry so we asked chat gpt to give a pilot script for something and then we tweaked it a little bit we'd like you to have that script and polish it and kind of expand on it and now we own that script you don't you're rewriting it which means that you are just getting a for hire job that is going to run out in a couple of days and you have no intellectual property rights of it you have no creative rights around it we get to own it because we're the studio and we use the technology to do it uh that would be catastrophic for the writers and it wouldn't require ai to be as good as succession it would just require ai to be good enough to start the process of writing a show like succession and that's something it could do right now and that's scary and that's bad <laughs> and also there's a lot of really bad things out there in Hollywood that people get paid good money to write. And I think it's also important to remember that those people are going to be affected by this too. Uh, just in the same way in journalism, people are right now getting paid to write articles that are just clickbait because, you know, about like what time does the Super Bowl start? Somebody has to write an article about what time the Super Bowl starts yeah. and they get paid a money to do that. And right now, they won't need to do that anymore because the, a large language model uh, can generate that completely independently without any human involved. Uh, and that means people are going to lose money. You could very easily do that for the kind of formulaic direct to VOD action movie starring some guy from the 90s that no one's ever heard of in the last 20 years. Like, There's lots of movies like that with very formulaic scripts that AI could write right now. And people would be out of a job. Like it doesn't have to be something that somebody's going to win an Oscar for that. That's money that people are going to use to pay for, you know, their house and their food and, and uh, AI can replace them. So 
I think that that often gets overlooked in the conversation. But Josh, I think we've talked enough about AI, so I want to get your take on some of the other stuff that the writers are worried about. And if you have any sympathy for what the studios are saying in regards to like, well, we spent all of this money on streaming services and we're crazy in debt right now, so this is a terrible time to give any kind of concessions and we really need to hold on to all of our money. Um. I'm never going to defend studios. Screw them. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, pro the workers' rights in in any situation, especially this one. No, I think the technology piece of it is a, a big factor, and not so much. I think the AI is is a future, um, but not too far future um, looking issue. But the streaming is a technology issue that now. I mean, if, if you look at the last time there was a strike in 2008, there were no streaming services. This was not a problem. So the landscape for television has just morphed so much. And that's why you have issues with mini rooms. And that's why you have issues with um, reduced episode count because the different streaming services just are trying to get so many things in as quickly as possible. And they're just not giving writers opportunities. And there's not these opportunities for writers to then work their way up through the, um, the chain that they normally did of, you know, okay, I'm going to, be a staff writer and then I'm going to be a head writer and then I'm going to be a showrunner. Like these opportunities are going away. And so it's really just screwing over the writers in so many ways. Um, And I think that is once again, because of the way that the streaming model is built and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that this is all happening now, but the reason it's happening now is because they punted three years ago because it was the pandemic and they didn't want to get into, uh, you know, this debate then understandably, um, so it's happening now, and the studios just need to suck it up and pay the writers. They're not, though. That's the other. I think the pandemic's a big thing too, because we, there was so much content. Everyone was consuming so much content because we were just at home all the time. And now that's like it's this weird catch twenty two. I think with streaming models, where it's just like we want ever like just look at Disney Plus. I mean, Alex, we talked about this with Marvel. It's like we need, we need, we need, we need. We're going to produce, we're going to produce, and then it's like, well, this all sucks. It's too much. I don't want it. And I think that's the I. I so you have that, but I think there's also the appetite of people like, I don't want to wait three years or two years for the next season of The Last of Us to come out. Where's the script? Get it done. Because people don't care. People don't like the people consuming media. It's just consumption. They do not care that there are writers rooms or there are, you know, guilds and actors and technicians and everyone who works on this stuff. They're like, fuck you. I want it now. I don't want to wait till January 2025 for The Last of Us. I want it as soon as humanly possible. And Warner Brothers Discovery, not making them the villain here, but I'm just since they produced The Last of Us, or like, listen, this was a huge hit for us. Throw it into computer, get it out, clear Pedro's schedule, clear everyone's schedule. Let's fucking go. And let's make that money. And let's make that money now. Because we don't care about the money in two years. We care about the money now because we are in debt out the ass now. Well, and I I think that's an interesting example of like how the future might look in terms of the incentives for leaning more and more on artificial intelligence if they don't put these safeguards in place. And I also think, Josh, what you said is very interesting because you mentioned how like streaming wasn't an issue 10 years ago in the last strike. But actually, it very much was in a way that was very prescient of the writers because at the time, one of the big sticking points was that for the for a couple of years prior to the strike, uh, studios were asking writers to write kind of supplemental content for TV shows uh, that would go on their websites. Um, and they would be little kind of like stingers. Sometimes they would be ad related, whatever. Um, 
and at the time that stuff was not union based the price the the pay was not on union scale um and it was because well that's for digital content digital content isn't covered in the collective bargaining and everybody at the wga said this is we cannot allow this if our writers are doing a work whether it's on television in film or in a digital space they have to be getting paid but the right way and then and everybody said you're crazy this is such a small issue why you're making such a big deal out of it and they ended up being proven out to be incredibly uh, correct because shortly thereafter, Netflix started creating original content uh, for streaming. Streaming is digital content. Streaming obviously now is the dominant form of television. And all of those TV shows would have been non-union TV shows. None of the actors, none of the directors, none of the writers would have been part of the union, would have been protected by union protections if not for that writer's strike back then. I think a lot of people are looking at some of these issues now that they're facing, especially the artificial intelligence piece, but also the streaming residuals issue and the sort of the issue where uh, the apprenticeship of writers is not being fostered and saying, what will this problem look like 10 years down the line if we don't do something about it right now? And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting to think about. Yeah. I, I just think the the problem that a lot of like prognosticators are having is that looking to 2008 to know how this is going to end is not going to work because 2008 ended because the director's guild made a deal with the studios and then kind of forced the writer's hands. The directors, they made their deal. The writers, they're not budging at this point. So, you know, you're only going to get so much from that. And yeah, I mean, you do have the writers previously being, yeah, you know, aware of the presence of, um, you know, the birth of streaming and how that was going to change things. But I don't know it, it's, it's changed so much that, you know, I don't see this ending anytime soon. Although I feel like every time we record one of these podcasts, big news breaks the next day. So maybe it will. That would be very nice. I think that in, honest, in all honesty, nothing is going to happen with the writers until at least the, the SAG um, negotiation either results in a contract or breaks down and results in a strike, um, which wouldn't be until the end of this month. Uh, basically what, and I've been reading a lot about this because I wanted to really be firm for our listeners who maybe aren't following it as closely. Uh, what we know is that the studios are not, it's not so much that the writers are refusing to budge now that the DGA has settled. Studios are refusing to talk to the writers right now. They said, you are on strike. We are not talking to you. We're going to deal with the people who aren't on strike yet. So we're going to go to the DGA first. Now that they have a deal with the DGA, they're focusing on SAG. And until those negotiations are done, they're refusing to even go to the table with the writers. And the reason why they're doing this is they're hoping that the strategy will be, well, look, we got to deal with the DGA. They thought our terms were acceptable. We got to deal with SAG. They thought our terms were acceptable. You, WGA, are being unreasonable. So why won't you accept the deal that we're offering you? And that's not very fair because in some areas, some of the things that they're concerned about, all of the guilds are concerned about. But in a lot of areas, they're not. They're different issues. Like the the mini room thing has nothing to do with the writer, nothing to do with the directors, nothing to do with the actors. That's a very specific thing to the writing industry. In other situations, you know, residuals for a director, streaming residuals for a director is going to work out very differently than for streaming residuals for a writer or an actor because you have one director, right? You know, you might have a couple of assistant directors that might be involved as well. But when you're talking about writers, you're talking about a whole team of writers that that residuals 
game is going to be more complicated. Where actors, it's much more complicated to figure out which actors are owed what and to what what the tiers should be. Uh, so you can't just go one to one and say, "Well, we got a deal here, we got a deal there. You should just cave." That's why it seems like most people think this is going to go until September. Unfortunately. What would that mean if it goes till September? Well, number one, it would mean that like the fall network TV shows are going to be delayed. I don't think many people care that much about that because not a lot of people are watching network TV anymore. So I don't think that's going to impact them that much. Um, but it also means potentially that the summer movies for the following year will also be delayed. And that means, you know, Captain America 4 and Deadpool 3 are currently in production. They might have to shut down production pretty soon. Blade already had to shut down production. Lots of big movies are will eventually be affected the longer this drags on. And that, in an industry where, you know, the film industry, they just spent the last three years rescheduling movies every three months like they were getting extensions on a term paper. Uh, I don't think that was good for the box office and box office habits. Things are finally starting to stabilize. I would, I'm very interested to see if that ends up starting to put pressure in a way that this, the the trades the reporters aren't really talking about because like you said Josh that wasn't a factor when it came to uh, the 2008 strike although it did the 2008 strike did result in a lot of really bad blockbusters in the year or two afterwards where there were not writers on set to correct problems like I don't know if you've ever seen Quantum of Solace or uh, Transformers Solid. Dark of the Moon uh, these are terrible movies and they were made during the writer's strike makes me very worried about Captain America 4 uh, because that is of course a, sh- a movie that had a script but you know a lot of writing happens on set and it's not getting to happen on set right now and makes me worried for our friend sam but in any case josh i'm going to give you the final word on all of this what do you think are you worried uh it sounds like you're pretty solidarity with the writers so and i want to say as well i am also in solidarity i didn't get to say that yet yeah no i think it, it's unlikely that this is going to end anytime soon i mean i think Definitely, once again, pro the writers for this. And to your point earlier, Alex, I think a lot is going to turn on what happens with the Screen Actors Guild. Um, And that I wouldn't be surprised if they also decide to go on strike, in which case, once again, this is a a whole new can of worms. So just have to wait and see. Yeah, because if they go on strike, everything stops. Everything but reality TV. And uh, that's a lot of things. So that would be a big deal. And also, if they don't go on strike, but they work out a streaming residuals issue, I think that that could actually, and it's actually acceptable. Um, that could be a good sign of, of progress for the WGA in the sense of like, that's a major issue where they kind of overlap quite a bit. So if the if the SAG team can really get a good deal on that front and avoid a strike uh, that would make me feel encouraged that uh, the writer strike would end sooner rather than later but a lot is yet to be seen and it is not going to be the last time that we talk about that here but from telling the studios to go fuck themselves let's spend the next segment uh praising them for what a great job they did at winning the streaming wars that's right it's our streaming wars segment where we talk about the streamer that won the month uh tough transition this month between segments but here we are Bill, uh, who got your vote for the best streamer of the month? Oh, I hate my pick, but I think it's what I have to go with. And you guys are just going to be like, what a fucking, like, my God, what did this guy do? How does he run a website like this? Um, My choice is Max. I knew (laughs) it. Yeah. I just had to go with it because. Our buddy Max. It's our old friend Max. 
Um, now this is uh, this is the lead character of Where the Wild Things Are. He started no, no, no. a streaming um, website no, this, recently, this right? Is, uh, Max from Stranger Things. Remember the whole thing? Like, if you haven't seen it, where she was like, you know, where is she? And she was in the upside down. No, she was creating a streaming service. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's Goofy's it son, sense. Max. You know? Oh, I mean, yes. You know, he's 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 trying to he's trying to save Disney Plus right now. Um, so <laughs> Max gets my vote. Why does Max get my vote? Is it because Bill didn't have a better idea? Well. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, but it was like, because Netflix, as always, like, if you look at, like, and the, this is one thing that you brought up, Alex, with the, the, the metrics, when you try and look at Nielsen and other, there's not, a, like, a defined Bible of, like, well, this is the streaming for this, and you're like, oh, I, okay, I guess this is what I have to go off of, but they had a lot of hits this month, but I say Max was on everyone's tongue uh, this month because it was a huge deal, and people were like, it's kind of a dumb name, but it's also you had it, people were talking about it and people had to go back in to make sure they had to log in to, to get their, to get the service activated on all their devices. So people were talking about it and it was what a time for it to transition because as Alex mentioned before, two of their biggest shows just came to a conclusion and you have a lot of people who watch it on those platforms like succession and Barry. And there's a lot of people who are like, okay, the shows are over. Now I'm going to go binge it because I haven't watched it. Everyone's been talking about these shows. My wife just said, great, succession's over. I can go binge it now. And, like, and I think that's a lot of people and what they're going to do. And so I think the fact that you have this site, everyone's talking about Max Max. That's all you hear about. You also had that trailer that came out. We probably discussed it last month. I could totally be wrong. But like you still have a lot of hot properties are coming on with Penguin. And the Magnolia TV stuff is still very popular. But also kind of in like a move that gave them positive press, although people made fun of it and for good reasons. Uh, Kim Cattrall uh, was announced that she was coming back for the second season of, and just like that, which is the sex in the city sequel. Okay. My sidebar on this whole show, I have seen sex in the city from start to finish every year that I have been dating my wife for the last 17 years. I have at least watched this series 17 times. I have seen, and I thought that show ended wonderfully at a great finale. I've seen the two movies, bad. The yeah, show. First, first movie, uh, first movie's yeah. not bad. Uh, it has its point. It's hit and miss. Second movie, the second abysmal. movie is, uh, is fucking. Truly a war crime. <laughs> uh, it, and you're not far from being correct on that phrase. It is such a, what a piece of shit. And the show, and just like that. Oh my god, is fucking horrible! Like, a, like a, an insult to the previous series. But Kim Cattrall famously was not going to come back. Uh, she has problems with the showrunner and and Sarah Jessica Parker. Apparently, this cameo she had no interaction cast. with. Yeah, she had no interaction with anyone. But it's a big draw to a show that is a draw for that streaming service. So and Aiden is coming back for the second season. Don't as well. fucking get me started on that. That that was another <laughs> war crime from the second film. He was way happier <laughs> than he made out with Carrie. It's fucking stupid. If you want to do a Sex and the City podcast, I'll fucking do it because I've seen it enough times to to get angry about stuff like that. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, it's it's <laughs> the fucking shits, uh, but <laughs> it's really popular. So that is a huge get for that show. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be max for me because they just have a they just are being talked about a lot and being talked about is better than being like Peacock or Paramount plus right now. Although Paramount plus has some good stuff, but like there's other streamers out there that don't get talked about at all. So, you know, it's better to be talked about than not, I guess. 
it's well most of the time and i will say people were very quick to be like oh the launch was super glitchy whatever it seems like they actually handled it pretty well it seemed like only a small amount of people had issues and that's pretty impressive given number one how hbo max launched which was a disaster um and also how a lot of these streamers have launched like it's just transfer one streamer into another streamer is really complicated technically and i think that all things considered like you know everybody talks about it as one thing as if like everyone's hbo max app is the same and it's not it depends on what your operating system is all of them are different and so everyone's experience is not going to be exactly the same i think overall much less drama than i expected went pretty smoothly yeah i mean i signed into max it just updated on all my devices and it my my watch list was saved nothing was altered it was perfectly fine yeah. so i, I except yeah, I, for except for when uh you looked at the credits of who made the oh, movies and tv shows and they had it listed as creator creators. and uh, put put director producer writer all of it got lobbed into one very generous creators which caused a lot of anger from the wga and the dga um and they tried to say oh it was just a technical oversight but it was not and a lot of reporting has come out since then saying like no this was definitely an intentional thing that they did and they had to backtrack because they didn't realize that like they Ah. have signed contracts saying that the like martin scorsese has to be listed as a producer and a writer and a director he cannot be listed as a creator on like the taxi driver like you just can't do that um so uh, I, that would, was... I didn't i didn't even need to do reporting to tell you guys <laughs> a big old middle finger from yeah. old zazzy pants and, and uh-huh. company to be like hey you want to go on strike creator yeah, but they did announce like within 24 hours that they were going to reverse that and apologized, although it hasn't I, actually been changed I yet. Would hate to be, <laughs> I would hate to be the dude who has to, or, or lady or non-binary friend who has to go in and change all the, the thousands of, of entries where it says this to what they actually are. That sucks. Yeah, if only they had a pre-existing database that they could have used initially. <laughs> uh, most likely, given given the state of most, uh, the competence of most most companies, they probably got rid of it. I'm sure you have an AI for that. Uh-huh. Oh, that's the one time you use AI. <laughs> You're like, Fuck well, <laughs> although, well, you have to be careful because it might say that somebody made something and they definitely didn't do it. The other day, I was using ChatGPT to try to help me remember a movie that I had, had that I had seen a long time ago and I couldn't remember the name of it. Just I ask put me. in like I have a pretty good who was I? I put in like the detail with and I said to like Dylan O'Brien starred in it and they were like Maze Runner and I was like, no, like it's a completely different movie, not Maze Runner. Then it then it created a different movie that is a hundred percent a real movie uh, that is not about anything that I said it was a, that I said that the movie that I was remembering was about. And also 100% doesn't star Dylan O'Brien in it at all. And I was like, what? And I said, like, but Dylan O'Brien doesn't star in this movie. And then it said, you are correct. I was mistaken. It does not, he does not actually star in it. Maybe it's this movie instead. <laughs> and that was like, you're right. You're right. It wasn't battle. Yeah. Field or was it the blues brothers? And you're like, <laughs> no, he wasn't even born. <laughs> I also thought when you said Dylan O'Brien, you meant Dylan Baker, and I'm like, wait, that's too weird. He was. No, I remember every movie Dylan Baker was in. Um, but Josh, uh, who won the month for you in streaming? Oh man, I was really tempted to go for Max too. So Bill, that's not a bad pick. Hey, for um, me. <laughs> but I, I just couldn't give the win to, to old Zazzy Pants, as you called him. Um, Zazzy no, just, Pants. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just could not. So I will say my pick. Under the Radar definitely did not have as much talk, but I think they had a solid, quietly solid month. And that's going to be Apple TV+. Plus, okay. Because 
on top of the you know wonderful beloved uh, Ted Lasso finale, which Alex <laughs> is you know here on record saying he is a super fan of. Um, they well, also did have tell it to go fuck itself, like with Barry. Jesus. <laughs> well, that would just be it. Would just be mean to tell Ted Lasso to go fuck himself. It's just like kicking a puppy. Yeah, it's not Kiefer Sutherland. Come on. Oh, um, <laughs> if it was, if Kiefer Sutherland was in Barry, Alex would be like, ah. <laughs> no, no, but. Ted Lasso, even though it had, by most accounts, not a strong finale, it still was, yeah. you know, a, a most likely or possible series finale to to a big show. Uh, on top of that, they also had some really big, um, big-ish uh, names attached to some shows um, that actually got some really good ratings. So one that had huge ratings was uh, or reviews was Silo, um, starring Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, if you can get Rebecca Ferguson, it's always a win. Mm. She's wonderful in everything she does. So that's great. Um, also, they had Platonic um, with Rose Byrne and Seth, um, Rogen. Seth Rogen, which, once again, really big gets for them. And that's supposed to be phenomenal. Uh, apparently it seems like a show players. that Bill and Josh, you would like. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I do. Mostly because it's like. suggested it for this episode. And we just like, yeah, I did, yeah. I uh I did um I love them in Neighbors Rose Byrne and, and Seth Rogen and yeah. I'm excited about the idea of them being in a TV show together but I hate the premise of like can men and women be friends like wh- are we still doing this I don't yeah. understand <laughs> I feel like a comedy that would be more up your alley would be High Desert starring Patricia Arquette that was also one didn't get quite as good reviews but once again Patricia Arquette a good She's she really I've seen the trailer for that. She really seems like she is on one in that television show. <laughs> Maybe on a number of things. <laughs> but even beyond that, so it has have um a few shows coming up this month that are once again big names. So we've got The Crowded Room starring Alex's beloved Tom Holland. Um you know, when he cries, Alex cries. It's it's there. Um and also we have Hijack starring Idris Elba, another MCU alum. So really and popular, you know, actors and, you know, come into Apple TV plus, you know, everyone except, you know, um, Timothy Chalamet, apparently just, just continue to be on the sideline. Um, and then on top of that, we also did have a, um, very, very highly rated documentary, uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie, um, which received wonderful, uh, reviews. And so, it may not have been the buzziest of the streamers, but I think it had a solid, solid month. And that's on top of some other wins early in the year with Shrinking. I know that was a show that Alex genuinely loved, not, you know, mockingly, um, actually did enjoy. So it's it's been okay being Apple TV Plus this month. And they had a baseball back th- um, this month, too. And uh, MLS as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's my pick. But they got, they got Alex, soccer, they got they got how baseball. Are we, how are we wrong, Alex? <laughs> well, I did pick something different from you guys, and it kind of hurt a little bit to pick this, but I feel like it is the only correct answer. Um, and that is, of course, Netflix. Uh, yeah. I think Netflix had the best month for a variety of reasons. Number one, a good month for them with movies. Uh, they got they got Man Called Auto coming over from theaters. And uh, it crushed for them. They It did really well on the platform, which of course it did. That movie was made to do well with your mom on th- No, it did. It got $100 million in, in theaters. Oh, yes. oh, my parents loved it. 
Everybody's parents loved it. And now they could watch it on Netflix. And that's even better than having to go outside the house. So that was big for them. Uh, Mother, the J-Lo action movie where she's like kind of doing her riff on Taken, uh, that did very well for them. And uh, and that is of no surprise because J-Lo's previous streaming movie uh, called uh, like Shotgun Wedding for Amazon also yeah. was pretty successful. And, you know, she also did a movie for Peacock called Marry Me. So I think she's got to get on over to Max pretty soon uh, to complete the hat trick. Um, but in any case, uh, th- that was good. Um also, we had some big premieres. Uh, Hannah Gadsby's new special dropped to pretty good reviews. Not exactly the phenomenon that uh, that her first film or her first comedy special was, but still, it was pretty well received. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger made his television debut on a television show called Fubar, Fubar. Uh, which is a real thing that exists. Uh, that I have heard is not the best, but you know, it is Arnold Schwarzenegger on TV. If that's what you're looking for, <laughs> um. You might think it's a sketch from this next show called I Think You Should Leave. Uh, but uh, no, it's a real it's a real TV show. But I Think You Should Leave, uh, the Tim Robinson show. Uh, people are huge fans of that. Very excited for it to come back. I'm not really uh, a fan of it, but I, I not because I don't like it. Just it's just like have I watched a couple episodes and I just like couldn't get into it. But uh, everyone I know loves it and says I'm wrong. And I, I, I believe them. Uh, unlike Barry, who I know I'm right about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and we also had the ultimatum queer love that season was just like on the tips of everybody's tongue. Uh, I think maybe a tiny bit more than the launch of Max, Bill, um, including our uh, <laughs> our podcasters over on Roses and Rejection, who had a lot of fun talking about that show. So if you want to hear about that show, uh, you can check out some of their most recent episodes while they're in between Bachelor seasons. Uh, so that is all of the stuff. Also. I think it's really remarkable that Netflix somehow got out of the hot seat and are letting David Zasloff take all of the bad publicity for the writer's strike, even though all of the things that the writers are striking about are things that Netflix is the number one worst actor in regards. They are the ones that started a lot of the shady stuff around residuals and not letting people know what things who's watching stuff and how much it's like 170,000 minutes or whatever the hell, like nobody things that don't mean anything. They're the ones that really pushed mini rooms to kind of screw over writers. So they're like, uh, substantively the villains of the streaming uh, of the the not of the streaming wars maybe of the streaming wars but also of the writer strike and somehow david zasloff uh being his incredible egocentric uh attention loving self has ripped that title away from them for some bizarre reason and is definitely the face of of the evil studios so for that alone i think they deserve to win the month uh, also they released to make your point uh, apparently that Bridgerton sequel, the Princess, mm. Princess Charlotte story, is just doing filthy numbers. It's just like billions upon billions of hours. It's like lapping everyone. And then People love that. Bridgerton. And then mm. there, uh, all to all the boys sequel, Exo Kitty showed up. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that I feel like did not have as big of a reaction as you would have thought it's it, it's hitting that like apparently according to our new young writers on the site it's really hitting that nice k-drama cross-section oh, of fans okay and um i'm like cool i know what that is but i have no idea what that is so oh, according i to know what youth, that is i mean it's korean dramas <laughs> i know what it stands for but well, it's like, not like i'm it, well first yes so yeah. and so it's like apparently it's hitting all those people right in the feels um 
Yeah, well, so that's it, good. That's, that's a lot going on for Netflix. But I was just it like, oh, everyone's talking about Max. It's never going to win again. No one and they also announced that they have 5 million ad-supported users in only the first six months of the ad service business that they've launched. And that a fourth of all new customers are ad-supported customers, which is a big deal for them because, as you guys know, uh, the ARPU on ad users are much higher than the ARPU on uh, uh, subscription-only users. So it's a big deal. You just wanted an excuse to say ARPU. I mean, you don't even have to put that out there. It's obvious that it's just like <laughs> ARPU is just Alex's thing. It's like the Pentaverate last year. It doesn't fucking exist. But, you know, he's going to keep pushing it. He's going to push the narrative. Um, it's ARPU and Dickie Mads, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is, uh, so do you guys think the, um, the whole, uh, password crackdown thing is going to, uh, eat into it because they're starting to push that again? Well, so it is that everybody got their emails. It's going to be rolling out in the next month or so. And I have been surprised by how little public blowback there has been so far, how little complaining there is. And it seems like for the most part, people are just dealing with it and they're like, all right, we're not going to get rid of Netflix, so uh, you're going to have to add it on a new profile, or we're just going to sign up for an ad tier. They've really made the addition. The, like, I don't know if you guys have seen the details about what those like extra profiles that you have to pay seven dollars a month to keep on your um, your account entail. But there, it's like a terrible plan. It's basically like you pay seven dollars a month. Uh, so that way you can stay on someone else's plan, but you have, you're not allowed to switch devices. You have to register like one device, uh, one Wi-Fi connection, like that's it. It's very inflexible in that way. You can't have multiple profiles on an, on an additional account. So it really is going to, it's really not a good deal, (laughs) especially compared to, the ad supported tier which is what they would prefer you to sign up for um instead and i think that's going to be good business for them and what we saw in canada and i think it's important to know that we have canada to blame for this so south park was right um what we saw in canada in the beginning of the year is netflix rolled out the password crackdown and they got some decent bad publicity for about six weeks uh where people were complaining and saying this isn't fair uh and some people protesting by canceling their accounts and within like two to three months, all of the accounts that they lost, they got back uh, and they added additional accounts and uh, all of the negative complaining stopped completely. And now they've ended up making a lot more money off of everybody in the process. So it worked out completely fine for Canada. And uh, that was the deciding factor in uh, finally executing the plan as they had initially intended. So it's not entirely Canada's fault, uh, but they didn't help. Uh, and so I'm going to blame them. I never do. But uh, I don't have any kind of fun uh, transition from (laughs) that into this. So we're just going to go straight into our final segment this and every month uh, where we talk about our new series spotlight, where we discuss a new series debuting this month and give our thoughts. This month, we're going to be reviewing American Born Chinese, Disney Plus's adaptation of the 2006 Gene Lewin Yang graphic novel of the same name. The series was created by actor and writer Kelvin Yu, who was previously a writer on Bob's Burgers in Central Park and has been a character actor in a million things, including a previous new series spotlight entrant, The After Party, where he played the character of Ned. Everybody remembers Ned, right? He was actually pretty funny. He, he was the one who like was like, he like pulled Sam Richardson's pants down because he thought it would be hilarious. And everyone was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> 
<laughs> funny. I like that show so much. I'm very excited for the second season to come back pretty soon. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about American-born Chinese. And that and this series is executive produced by Shang-Chi's Dest- Destin Daniel Cretton, who also directs the premiere and finale of the first season. The series stars Ben Wong as 10th grader Jin Wong, and Jimmy Liu as Wei Chen, the son of legendary Monkey King, who has rebelled against his father by stealing his father's staff and posing as a human while he embarks on a mystical quest. It also features Academy Award winner Michelle Yao as Ganyan, the goddess of mercy, Academy Award winner Ki Hu Kwan as Jamie Yao, the co-star of a 1990s sitcom that forced him to play an offensive Chinese stereotype for comedic effect, and Daniel Wu as Sun Wukong, the legendary Monkey King himself. We all watched the premiere. Bill, you may have watched a little bit more than the premiere. Uh, But Josh, I'm going to go to you first because you were a huge anime fan, and this is based on a graphic novel not an, not a magna uh a manga it's not based on magma it's not volcanic you know but uh. i had I, I was i was thinking of the famous uh new mutant character uh magma uh when i was and i misspoke i apologize everyone remembers magma of course um, <laughs> everyone saw new mutants right yes right? totally no the not the not the movie new mutants she wasn't in that of course not i'm talking about the original 1980s run of the, of the comic book where she is from a, a a roman colony in the south america that still exists uh you know you know magma everybody is magma everyone's favorite new mutant why am i still talking Josh? <laughs> we weren't stopping you <laughs> i just want to keep watching you dig and dig and see how far this goes all the way to the magma. <laughs> uh, no, guys. I, uh, oh, man. I, I love the show. Oh, I just got to say, we got to get Alex to go there at least once. So, <laughs> yes, and, yes. No, that that was wonderful. Thank you for that, Alex. No, and, and thank you for letting us talk about the show because I love this show. Yeah. I, I've never, I did not read the original uh, graphic novel. I have read another um, graphic novel by Gene uh, Lun Young. I read... Um, Superman Smash of the Clan from him, which is phenomenal. Highly Ooh, recommend that. That's really good. Um, it's so good. Um, and oh man, guys, this is so good. I had to watch episode two, much like Bill, because I was so blown away by the first episode. I was like, I need to see more. And it did not disappoint. Um, I think that the comedy is on point. I think it does a wonderful job of showing the way that. Um, microaggressions just like totally can invade a um you know a well-meaning ish society of people and just show how like you know the the racism of it all is just inescapable of it um i i thought it was also just like so heartwarming i thought the action was great just i cannot talk about this movie or the show enough um what did you guys think well, I love the fact that Disney Plus cannot get away from Bon Jovi because, <laughs> much like Miss Marvel, in the I second episode, there's a wonderful arc uh, with uh, Jin's dad, who is played by Jin Han, who you might remember from The Dark Knight. He played Lao, and he was also in Winter Soldier. Uh, he, you, as soon as you see him, you're like, ah, yes, I know exactly who that is. He's so good in The Dark Knight. Uh, yeah, and he is even better here. Um, I love this for multiple reasons. One, I feel like I 
grasps the awkwardness of high school so much that I have to like watch it in, in, in segments because I'm like, Oh God, this, wow. This, especially when he, Jen is uh, talking to uh, the, Amelia, the girl he's into, I'm just like, Oh man, this, this hits home so much. I'm going to pause this right now. Just take a walk. Cause ah, brings back memories. Also as someone whose best friend is and brother is, um, is Asian. He's uh, my best friend, Vic, who's Filipino. Like I've seen all this happen in real life to him. And I'm sure I committed some of these unwittingly against him and was corrected, by the way, as I should be. Uh, but I've seen this happen to him. And, and it's, it's, it, that's the other really realistic and also awkward part for me. Cause I'm like, Oh God, this was high school. This, yeah, this, this happened, dude. Like, and this sucks. And it's such a wonderfully acted show. I think, um, Ben Wong is is phenomenal. He's so good. He's so funny, mm. and he's so natural. This is some, such a lived in performance. And then it's just like we're just gonna sprinkle in Michelle Yeoh just to be this fairy godmother of a character <laughs> who seems to be having the time of her life. She's this is oh, yeah. this is definitely during her Oscar run. She was performing. She's like totally fucking winning this guys, and she was great. <laughs> I love the. Um, the uh, Kehu Kwan's uh, Beyond Repair stuff because they definitely, mm. even down to the typography of the show, mm. are mimicking like Full House and the TGIF stuff. It's awesome, and everything here is so cool. And and the, the mystical stuff isn't is peppered in, so I like that. It's just like okay, we're not there yet, but I feel like we're gonna get there because the action stuff is great. This is such a phenomenal show, and, and it it also hits like stuff with employment and 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 self-confidence and all this stuff that's just like a universal subject and it handles everything so just masterfully and that's why i got to two and a half episodes of this because i just stopped because i had eaten dinner so uh, but yeah <laughs> i'm definitely something i want to continue like i think this is one of the first shows where i'm just like no no i'm like josh i'm gonna keep going with it because i had the time and it, it hooked me that much yeah, it's I so I watched only the first episode just because, you know, I was trying to cram in all of those other things that we talked about. Uh, but I did really, really like this. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would, because yeah, from some of the trailers, I thought this was going to be more kind of pitched to that, like, you know, uh, uh, Disney Channel sitcom, live action sitcom quality, you know, like the Thundermans or whatever, you know, the, like it just had that sort of some of the some of the things that I think was maybe like behind the scenes footage and so maybe it wasn't pro like the images wouldn't process as well but it just seemed like it was maybe going for a bigger broader kind of thing and i love what this is this is such a great sensitive coming of age story about you know a person who is not usually able to be the star of a sensitive coming of age story uh i don't think this is technically a period piece but it is based off of something from 2016 uh, 2006 and it feels like high school in 2006 as someone who was in high school in 2006 like the fact that the jacket that he wants is the kind of mm. the dungaree jacket with the fur like, with the fur uh, like are, that are is... you are first off are you 75 years old you just call it dungaree <laughs> it's a jean jacket dude i'm the old one on this podcast whose parents were born in the fucking 40s like come on dungaree really just, sorry like if you want to push a button 
that's it. It's just like, it's a fucking jean jacket. Also, it is set in modern times. They do reference Baby Yoda. So, um, but okay. yeah, it's a fucking jean jacket. I mean, jean jacket is now Whoa! canonically the alien from Nope. So I can't call it jean jacket, you know? I didn't um, see it. I, I, cool. <laughs> it's not dungaree. Call it, you want to call it a denim jacket with fur on the inside? Cool. Is it something you would have seen Swayze wearing in Red Dawn? Great. Don't call it a fucking dungaree jacket. It really has shit in the name of what it is. What are you, my the nun who was my grade school principal? No dungarees today, William. It's just like, okay, Sister Charles, thanks a lot. Christ, two people get that reference. Oh my god, I'm sweating. Yeah, more sorry. people know more people know Sister Charles than you give them credit Motherfucker, for. Motherfucker, uh, <laughs> fucking worst. Oh. Uh, listen, I'm sorry. Sometimes my references are somewhat uh, old fashioned, and that's why people love me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> who would have thought that that would have been stuff? hot stuff? Oh man! Oh, that scene broke my heart. I'm, I'm like, oh, she said to him, oh no, he has chili peppers on the back of his white sweatshirt. Oh. I mean, but also, like, no girl would say you were hot stuff if they thought you were hot stuff. (laughs) You should have known better. But in any case, my point was... are stupid. (laughs) Yes, as they are often shown on this show. Um, But in very ways that, as boys, we could all relate to. And I think that this show is very relatable. I think it is really great. It's very specific in the stuff that they're talking about. Um, And a lot of that is stuff that I don't have firsthand experience with. But certainly I've had friends who are Asian and uh, in high school. And I saw that. I know exactly what you're talking about, Bill. Uh, The kind of devastating, uh, oh, you're vibing with a girl. But like, ah, you're Asian. I'm not going to like you if you're Asian, which is like so gross. And I never understood it. And I'm glad that we're, you know, we're moving past that as a society. Although, you know, grinder profiles beg to differ sometimes. Uh, But in any case, uh, this show is really, really special. (laughs) And I want to ask you. I don't know how to respond to that. It's just like, grinder profiles are different. All right. (laughs) We'll take a word for it, Alex. Listen, the people who know know what I'm talking about. And we don't need to get further into this on this television, on this show for children. Um, But in any case, um, what did you guys think about the balance between the sort of like grounded, you know, young adult story uh, with the sort of high fantasy elements? Josh? I thought it was the perfect balance. I think... Other than the the Bon Jovi-ness of it in the oh. second episode, this reminded me so much of Ms. Marvel, just because it it really like got that perfect tone for um, that high school awkwardness that is like, oh, this is so cringy and I don't want to look, but I have to look because this feels like something I would have said. Um, but then it, it goes right into the, the mysticism. And I, I'd say that it, it's good about kind of leaving you wanting for that without giving you too much because I, I, I was so engaged in, in Jin Wong's story that it's like, I was a little disappointed whenever we went to the mystical side of things. Um, but then it just started gaining speed. It started like picking up. It's like, okay, now I'm interested because I, I want to know how like Jin is involved with this, especially if he is supposed to be, um, uh, Wei Chen's guy, like, what does that mean? And and just wanting to see where this goes. So, I I think it nailed it. I think the second episode really, I think, shows what the show is going to be because there's this great scene between um, Wei Chen's dad and 
uh, Michelle Yeoh in like a, a buffet. And it's just like you get to the humanity of this guy who you've just been seeing fighting. And that's always been, it's highly involved in high, fa high fantasy and mysticism. And you see him as a dad just conversing with someone who is a goddess and but talking like he was talking to his aunt or his mom. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's what makes it great because the story will evolve into a high fantasy, but it's all set in like, we have to build Jin here because he's making these decisions where you think he's going to make the right heroic choice. And he doesn't because of a lack of confidence in himself and wanting to fit in and the paralleling it with his dad. But I think it's just this great, uh, these great pieces that are ultimately going to set up the heroic tale of him being fulfilling what um, what um, Wei Chen believes he's going to be, believes he's going to be this guy who's going to help him out. And I, I think so we're going to see that build. And I think that's necessary to just like, he's a kid and he's not like this, like Christ-like perfect figure. He's going to make bad decisions. And he just, cause he just wants to be accepted and liked and, he, want, he says, I want to be normal in the second episode and the character retorts like, what's so great about being normal? But that's what he wants. He's never felt normal. He just wants to be accepted by everybody. And I think that's ultimately going to play into the high fantasy. And that's what I'm more excited about. Just I, I'd rather have it the way they're doing it and then kick into high gear as opposed to it's like, boom, everything is high fantasy. And that's the most interesting part of the show. We've seen that happen before. And those are always the more sizzle, less steak type shows that flame out real quick and none of us continue with. Yeah, I personally would love to just watch a show about Ben Wang, just like moving through 10th grade. Uh, will he get in trouble for stealing the jacket? Will he not? <laughs> like, that's enough for me. I feel like that, like I am open-minded about the high fantasy stuff to see. And I think that there's a really strong chance that it could really amplify what's going on. I know that the way that it works in the book, the graphic novel, it oftentimes functions in that capacity where it's sort of, you know, it's kind of like doing like the Buffy thing of like, well, we're in high school, but we're kind of doing this amplified version of what high school is like through these fantasy elements to try to like get the ecstatic truth of how we're feeling about things um and literalizing that in fantasy elements but i would be very happy i think that you know uh ben wong is really really good in the role and i i think that he could carry the show on his own and it could be like a quiet coming of age drama about a young boy turning into the man that he that he should be uh that he always was instead of who he thinks he's supposed to be you know and i think it would be good just as that um you know reminds me of a little bit of like uh the half of it which was a netflix uh movie a couple of years ago um it was sort of like a, a cyrano de bergerac but um about like an asian girl who falls in love with the cheerleader and coaches a dumb jock into uh being the man of her dreams because uh she can never be with her uh really good movie if you want to check that out uh so I would be very happy if this was just that, but I'm open-minded to the to the high fantasy stuff because none of it is bad at all uh, so far, and I'm it just feels like it's like unnecessary. It's good without it, but um, but I'm excited to see where where it goes. Yeah, for sure. No, no, can't argue with that. And once again, Michelle Yeoh as a literal goddess. We all knew it was true, but just confirmation. There you go. Yeah. I agree. We didn't need it, but we're happy to have it in terms of confirmation. Uh, unlike my comments about Dungaree jackets, which we absolutely didn't need, apparently. <laughs> no, we needed no. that. I mean, yeah, for comedy, but also in reality, just it's a denim jacket, a jean jacket. 
So uh, that's going to do it for this month of TV break. Uh, Bill, we are going to be saying goodbye to you uh, next month. We're going to be having a a fill-in host uh, to be determined. Bill is Uh, leaving us for for those for those uh, frog eating Frenchies. Uh, I'll be going to I'll be going to Paris for my in laws' fiftieth wedding anniversary. They've actually known each other for sixty years and have been married for fifty. uh, yeah, this is like my first podcast, my first TV break. I'm gonna miss my first socially distance. I'm gonna miss. I've I've had a pretty I've had a pretty good consistent run. So it's true, but you won't be missing Bill versus the MCU because that's it's, one it's that uh, we can't I do can't, without you. You're in the title. But in the meantime, where can people follow you if not following you around the streets of Paris, <laughs> which we <laughs> do not encourage? <laughs> Please don't. Um, I, at Bodkin writes on Twitter, of course, go to thepopbreak.com every single day. We've been doing this for 14 years. Uh, our concert season and our movie season, you know, for the past few years, has just been real weak. And now here we are in the thick of it. Check out. We've got all the big movies reviewed. Into the Spider-Verse, of course, is up there. Been shooting a lot of great stuff. We just covered the Atlantic City Beer Fest yeah, with 311 as the headliner. We just did a huge uh, thing called uh, the set festival out in LA, tons of stuff happening around the country for us this year. So go check us out at thepopbreak.com at the pop break on Instagram and Twitter. I do a ton of podcasts every Friday, socially distanced drops. Uh, this, uh, this next few weeks, we are doing mission impossible. We just did mission impossible one. Alex joined us to talk about how terrible mission impossible two was. And I, I, I know people want to defend it. And my question is why? Um, so yeah, we got a couple of weeks of that. Uh, we'll be doing secret invasion. We'll be talking about dial destiny, uh, dead reckoning part seven and, and mission impossible part seven, Soka, all sorts of great stuff. Find out all your favorite stream platforms on pop break today. I have two podcasts. One is called anchored in Asbury. Uh, go check that out. I just interviewed uh, Brian Erickson, and Biff Swenson. Uh, they brought back happy Mondays to the wonder bar. It's a huge night in Asbury park. So I'd love you to check that one out. And of course, I'm the Bill and the Bill versus the MCU podcast on the Pop Break Today feed. Um, We're recording two episodes back to back, but uh, this month's episode will be our MCU catch up where we're going to be talking about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that divisive movie, which apparently hurt a lot of people in the soul. And my question is, why? Um, And then we'll be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because uh, and hopefully Aaron Sarnacki (laughs) tunes into that one because you talked about wrote about every goddamn episode of that show that ever existed. So Alex is going to be to watch the pilot and a a couple of the big arcs and we'll be doing that as well. Uh, So, Josh, where can people find you like your latest uh, couch potato column, which uh, should be coming over shortly? Right, bro? Hopefully I've been. Somewhat good this year. No, no, yeah. um, yeah. Potato quarterly. I'm very excited. Yeah, there we go. Now, I, I got two done in the first half of the year. I'm proud of that. Um, so maybe not monthly, but I did have one most recently on a farewell to Ash Ketchum and Pikachu as Ash is leaving the ongoing Pokemon uh, anime series finally after a million years. So have a little um, send off for him there. Um, people can also hear me on the Anniversary Brothers podcast. Uh, with my brother Aaron uh, last month on the TV podcast, we talked about the anime Card Captor Sakura, which I'm assuming neither one of you have heard of. Um, but we also did have Bill on last month for our anniversary for Jurassic Park, uh, which was a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us, Bill. And this month we had a very special guest. We had Dan Cohen on talking about Man of Steel. 
Um, so definitely a lot of thoughts about that movie and, uh, and hope people enjoy listening to that one. Um, and then Alex, where can people find you? Well, if you want to hear more of Dan Cohen, you can listen to Batman by the Numbers podcast where me and Bill were happy to be uh, co-hosts uh, where we talked about uh, the best Batman lo- uh, best Batman actor ever, live action or animated um, when it comes to theatrical releases. All nine of them were discussed. Many hot takes were had. Uh, Dan got very angry at me. Um, you'll love to hear why. Uh, you might probably even agree with him on this one. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that was very fun. We had a big panel on for that. So definitely check that out over on Pop Break today. Uh, also, as Bill said, we got Bill versus the MCU cooking. Very excited about that. That is notable as our first episode on phase five of the MCU because we are in phase five, if you believe it. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Can't wait to talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, can't wait to do a lot of other things, including appear on socially distance over like seven times. Um, I feel like I'm becoming your honorary uh, fourth co-host over there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Go check out thepopbreak.com, clicking on the podcast tab and just see all of the great podcasts because we got blurred watchers we got roses and rejections and their off season bachelorette is about to get started so they're going to go back in full force we got not couple goals we got so many great podcasts out there uh so definitely check out all of that stuff and uh that's gonna do it for me also you can follow me on twitter and letterbox at media thinkings of course uh and uh yeah i can't wait until next month we got a lot more tv coming down the pike uh we're gonna be talking about secret invasion we're gonna be talking about the first three episodes of secret invasion actually by the time we record so that'll be fun and uh, a lot of other cool stuff hopefully you know maybe good news on the writer strike front probably not but who's to say uh you can tune in and find out 